Hello, welcome to 1000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark, and this is episode number four. This week I'm really excited to welcome a special guest to share a story. Rachel Mosley and her husband Stephen. Uh, they become really dear friends of mine over the past few years. In fact, I just came back from staying with their family for the last five days or so in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Uh, Stephen and Rachel, they have five kids, and they are singer-songwriters themselves. Not the kids, um, Stephen and Rachel. They perform as the Mosleys. So I went down to the coast to join them for a few concerts as part of the 30A Songwriters Festival, and we had a really great time. Uh, It was great to be an honorary Mosley while I was there. Uh, They always make me feel really at home and a part of their family. So I love getting to spend time with them. So I asked Rachel if she had anything that she'd be willing to read for us this week. And she offered a piece that was originally published on the blog foundlinghouse.com, which I recommend. Uh, It's a really tender and beautiful story to share about uh, the day that Rachel's grandmother died. Uh, I have I've come to believe that grieving well is so important. It's something that our culture does not do very well, uh, and it, it's difficult to feel like you have permission to grieve. We feel like we have to rush past it and, 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 and feel good all the time, but it's really important to grieve well. And so I'm really grateful for folks who are willing to go into those places of sorrow on our behalf and bring us stories. I, th- I actually think it's a kind of intercession, maybe. So, uh, And I also think it's a form of hospitality to tell these kinds of stories in a way that opens up room for us so that we can enter into our own griefs a little less alone. So Rachel offers us um, companionship here in a beautiful way. So just quickly before we let Rachel read, I want to let you know that the Mosleys will be joining me this June 14th through 17th in Cincinnati, Ohio for the second Cofferstow Retreat. This will be a weekend of live music, special speakers, rest, um, food, uh, friends, and conversation centered around what it means to creatively live out the gospel, um, to sort of imaginatively manifest the realities of Jesus' kingdom in this world. Uh, I'll be sharing more about that in the coming weeks here on this podcast and over at cofferstow.com. That's C-O-F-F-E-R-S-T-O-W-E.com. I'm going to begin unveiling the special speakers and registration info very soon, so stay tuned, and I really hope you'll come join us in June for a beautiful, refreshing weekend. The last Cofferstow in 2016 was an amazing time, and I'm really, really excited for Cofferstow 2019 this June. Okay, so without further ado, I'm so grateful to Rachel for bravely sharing this story with us. And I hope that it will help us um, help us to be brave and to love 
deeply. So this is 1,000 words, and here is Rachel Mosley reading for us The Speeding River of Light. I am standing in front of the bathroom counter in my grandmother's house. It is 6 a.m. Sunday morning, and her tiny house is full of quiet people. A neighbor at the door, a hospice nurse, my great-aunt and uncle, my mother and aunt, my grandmother's best friend and her daughters, and my own sisters. My grandmother has just died. I'm standing in the bathroom, and I'm looking at her tray of makeup. It will all be thrown out now. It's going to be picked through, and what no one wants will go into a trash bag and out to her curb. This is also true of her clothes, all hung up, all very neat, and her little shoes, some of which look brand new to me beside her bed where I've been sleeping as her hospice bed has been set up in her living room. I can hear my great aunt and aunts in the kitchen. Does anyone take Ativan? Christy, isn't this the same blood pressure pill you take? Careful, my sister says. Check the dosage and make sure it's the same. Maybe aspirin. Lauren, you take that. These women speak just like my grandmother, a Cajun softness that I want to remember always. They say my babies when they talk to my sisters and I, the babies who are all 30 plus. We kept vigil with my grandmother all weekend. We sifted through her boxes of old pictures, read all the yearbooks she kept from Marksville High School, early 1950s. She had a bright, open smile and big brown eyes. We compare pics of ourselves and our own children with the sepia people and Grand's Tupperware full of old pictures, and we are all there in the old faces. I am Essie. Lauren is Uncle Larry's face again, and Steph looks so much like Joyce. We watch the LSU game, and my grandmother stirs a tiny bit at the sound of the band, breathing shallow breaths now and not talking anymore. When I arrived on Friday, she knew me, and we talked about her short hair growing in dark after chemo and her painted pink nails. By Saturday, her hands were purpled and she wasn't speaking much anymore but single words. We sit around her with coffee, talking to her as if she will respond. Early Saturday afternoon, Gran asked my aunt for coffee and my aunt drops cooled coffee into her mouth with a medicine dropper. Miss Jerry remarks, you so Cajun, Joyce, and we all laugh, but not Gran. This is a corporal work of mercy, sitting beside the dying. It is sad and heavy, hot like a blanket around your shoulders when you have a fever. I want to get out. My sisters feel the same, so we pick through the banana pudding brought by a neighbor, decide we are hungry, and head into town. We head to the Hippolyte Bordelon house, the house built by our ancestor, a Louisiana pioneer in the late 1700s. The house is closed up. We call the number on the sign to request a tour, but the number is disconnected. Because we are kin, my boldest sister feels like it would be just fine to let ourselves in if we can find a way. I suggest this, actually, and then I collect a bench from the front porch, lug it to the side window, pop open the old window, and chicken out. My boldest sister is also a little unsure, but we push her up and inside, and we make her take pictures and grab up brochures. I'm the oldest, so I make her do this, pretending I would do it myself. We walk around the tiny yard. There's a massive cast iron pot I would love to own and an old stove and a cat inside of the outhouse. Our poke around tour takes us five minutes and we are all covered in mosquitoes and rush back to sit in the rental car. 
avoiding, we drive around teeny little Marksville where we never lived, imagining our grandparents and great-grandparents, checking out the courthouse where my great-grandmother worked, taking pictures of old clocks and houses and child signs. And then we are done and we must head back. We sit. We sit on the leather sofa and we wait. We paint at the small kitchen table, passing watercolors around, adding to and adjusting each other's paintings without talking. We chat with Miss Jackie, my grand's lifelong best friend, and I am so sad for her. My grandmother is like a child now, quiet, and unable to do anything at all but breathe heavy, hard breaths. Miss Jackie has worked at the desk beside my grand for 50 years. She knows her better than anyone. Here, my baby, she tells me, you come sit beside your grand, you hold her hand. I sit and I don't know what to say. We all look around at each other. My grand sits up a bit and lifts her arms and we are all startled, all but the nurse. Reflex, she tells us. I think that she is reaching for someone. On Saturday evening, my sister and I climb into my grandmother's double bed and somehow we are fast asleep. This next bit is the strangest and I don't know how to tell it. I am sleeping and I wake to what seem to be car lights in the room, bright as a highway, fast speeding lights, but white, bright white. I stand disoriented to close the window shade, thinking that perhaps her street is busy and feeling annoyance. But her street is quiet, a row of track houses on medium lots, suburbanish in the tiniest rural town. I shake my head and get back in bed. I am sleeping, and white lights are rushing fast through the room where I sleep, rushing from the front room where my grandmother is dying, sweeping a million miles an hour past the bed beside me and out through the back of the house. It's so bright. It's a bright, speeding river of light. I sit up, and my mother is at the bedroom door. Get up, girls. She says it's time. She is passing now. We gather around her bedside, and the hospice nurse is at the door. Is she in pain? I ask over and over. Her eyes are closed. She is breathing, we are told, but I cannot hear or see her breathing. I know that she is gone already and that though she may be breathing, her soul has been swept away with the lights. My mother wants me to sing something, but the room is so quiet and strange and I can think of no songs. I regret that I did not sing. And then she's really gone, marked by the slow nod of the hospice nurse who looks at her watch to mark the time. The nurse talks. My mother signs papers with someone whose entrance I had not noticed, and we are crying. Miss Jackie keeps saying, I thought I was prepared for this. My aunt's poor coffee. My grandmother's small body is lifted into a blanket and taken out of the house, and that's the odd, flat, abrupt end of a life. I'm in the bathroom, standing at her counter, looking at all the things she leaves behind. Lancome powder, probably $30, that my aunts will argue over in a few hours. My grand is, was, the last link I have to Louisiana, where I was born and grew until I was 10, something I was always proud of. She has gone now, and there won't be any reason for me to come back to this town. There is no longer anyone to watch over the Hippolyte Bordelon house. The funding ran out, and the house will fade, probably, too, as all things do. We come into this world with nothing, and we leave it again with nothing. I am determined to remember not to hold anything tightly, not to leave much for others to clean up, sort out, throw away. 
My mother comes in beside me, sets her coffee on the counter. I look at her and think that we are both moved up a generation now. Now we are older. I know that it will feel like moments until my own sisters sit beside me, old, I hope, and wait with me for white lights to rush through the house. Death twitches my ear. Live, he says, I am coming. Thank you, Rachel, for letting your story um, stand as a kind of prayer on our behalf. So I thought of a few things to share here as a benediction. Uh, There are some beautiful funeral liturgies that I love, but in the end what I kept coming back to was a poem written by Jane Kenyon called Let Evening Come. One of the things that poetry and story can do is combine seemingly contradictory images and then allow them somehow to inform one another. For instance, uh, Rachel described the moment of her grandmother's passage into death as a speeding river of light. And here, uh, Kenyon depicts what may be the same moment as this soft, descent of evening. So maybe these images can converse in a fruitful way. So I'll close this episode with Jane Kenyon's Let Evening Come. Let evening come. Let the light of late afternoon shine through chinks in the barn, moving up the bales as the sun moves down. Let the cricket take up chafing as a woman takes up her needles and her yarn. Let evening come. Let dew collect on the hoe abandoned in long grass. Let the stars appear and the moon disclose her silver horn. Let the fox go back to its sandy den and let the wind die down. Let the shed Go black inside. Let evening come. To the bottle in the ditch. To the scoop in the oats. To air in the lung. Let evening come. Let it come. As it will. And don't be afraid. God does not leave us comfortless. So let evening come. Thanks, Rachel Mosley, for sharing this week. Uh, The music you've been hearing during this podcast is all from the Mosleys. So you can uh, check out their album, Ordinary Time, and they just released a new live album, which may only be available physically right now, but I think it'll be online eventually. But you can find all their stuff at themosleysmusic.com. You can also find them on Instagram, at themosleysmusic.com. And as always, the text from this podcast is available at matthewclark.net slash 1000words. I'm Matthew Clark. Thanks for listening.